morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to yet another fantastic episode. I am so thrilled today because I have a wonderful, fantastic guest today. And she's actually an inspiration to me. I have been following her on Twitter. She's really, really fantastic. And I will let her introduce herself. So let's welcome Runa Sonovic. Hi, Runa. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast show. Hey. Thank you for having me. Uh, lovely to have you. Um, would you like to say a few words about yourself and maybe share a fun fact, if you like? Sure. So um, I am based in New York City, originally from Oslo. I focus on um, cybersecurity for newsrooms and freelance reporters. And fun fact, um, I am also a certified international sake sommelier. Oh, oh, interesting. What does it take to be certified in that? (laughs) Uh, So to become a... um, advisor it was like a four-hour course with like some tasting and some just learning about sake and production and then there's Uh like a one-hour multiple choice exam at the end Um, for then the sommelier exam it was a two two day full day course and then a four-hour exam including a blind tasting lovely wonderful okay wonderful (laughs) That must come in handy when you go out with your friends to restaurants and stuff. So lovely, lovely. Welcome to the podcast show. Um, do you want to say maybe something about what do you do today? Because I, you are a journalist, obviously, in which role you're working today and a bit about your day-to-day life. Sure. So uh, these days I am consulting for um, either freelance reporters or working with smaller newsrooms um, either then working directly with the reporters on creating a digital security program or digital security plan or assisting them if something has sort of popped up. Um, or in some cases, I'm working with newsrooms where I am training their IT staff so that their IT staff can better support the newsroom with security related things. That's wonderful because we will be talking a bit about that today. So let's hop right into the episode. Um, let's start with what is the importance of cybersecurity in journalism and, and what does it take for these two fields to go hand in hand? So I would say that digital security is a core part of the journalistic process, right? If, if you think about the work that a journalist is doing, it is research, it is interviewing, it is note-taking, recording, editing, fact-checking, publishing. And when you then think about exactly what is supporting all those elements, you are likely using a laptop, you're using a phone, you're using cloud-related mm-hmm. Things And so keeping all of that data secure becomes incredibly important, whether it's securing your online accounts, securing the identity of your sources, securing the communication with sources. Um, so I think that these days it's not it's not something that you can just like do as an option for a sensitive project. It, it, it really has to be something that you think about from the get go for every single story. Right. And and this is really important to make sure that you have, as you say, the whole aspect of integrity throughout the entire process. Lovely. Exactly. Do you, do you think that media today is more under 
scrutiny or cyber attacks and cyber threat profiling as opposed to maybe a decade ago or so or maybe two decades ago? And and what are the implications that you're seeing? I think that's a good question. And it's hard to say if it's more than before or if we're just seeing more of it and talking about more of it um, or um, if we're just at a point where we're able to detect it in a way that that we didn't back then. Um, I think there's also been just a big shift um, in, I think, this industry in general around just our willingness to talk about digital attacks. I think 10 years ago, if a company was hit with some sort of attack, the company might actually be very reluctant to talking about it, thinking that it would like hurt their brand and hurt their reputation and um, the stock price. And uh, now I think there's more willingness to say, hey, this actually happened to us and here's what happened and here's what we know and here's who we're working with. And here are all the things that not only that we've learned from it, but that you can learn from it as as well, which I think is great. I think it's the right direction to move it. Hmm. That's that's very wonderful because, as you say, that maybe the awareness around it has increased. For I mean, the awareness around it has increased for sure. Anyway, right? Whether the mm-hmm. the security impact or or the credibility or the threat to journalism has changed that much or not, but we're definitely seeing more. We're definitely talking more. We're definitely having a better awareness around it, which also then makes it maybe easier for the companies to come out and then share these experiences because that's where the whole key aspect is. I mean, it's not just about the companies that come out. It's not just for their own profile and their maturity, how they increase over time, but also how we all can learn. And we see that obviously the APTs are always a step ahead of us, but they're also like collaborating in their own dark web or dark world. And we need that as well. So what are some of the top threats do you see against or for in journalism and also towards high risk uh, profile, people with high risk profile or high risk people? So I think the same answer is going to apply to to both groups. I think that there's um, the number one thing to consider would be securing your online accounts. Um, so at that point, thinking about having strong and unique passwords across all of your different sites, um, using two-factor authentication where that is available, reviewing the privacy and security settings on the different sites so that you're aware uh, not only of like the settings that are available to you, but also uh, be aware of like what you're sharing and with whom and um, for how long. Uh, looking at any sort of third-party apps or integrations that you have linked to your accounts just to sort of see if you still trust them, right? Um and after that, securing your devices, so like your phone and your laptop at that point, software updates just become incredibly important. I think after that, um, we can sort of look at like if you're, say, traveling to China on a reporting trip, we can look at the uh, necessity to have like a travel laptop and a travel phone and maybe a uh, another e- email account that you use for that specific trip. Um, I think like these days we have the tools and the technology and all the neat software 
to secure the work that you're doing, whether you're a lawyer or researcher, you're in law enforcement, you work in a newsroom, like the technology exists to secure your work. And so what's really missing then is just the process and the workflow around it and, and someone actually thinking about for this specific project in this specific context, what do we need to do to work safely in that environment? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And some of the tips that you mentioned here are becoming more and more relevant, even for maybe not necessarily high risk people, but also just people working from home, working remotely. Now, there's so much remote work and, and data is being flowing from organizations from across geographical boundaries. And people need to work remotely, different laws and um, legalities apply there, but you still need to protect your customer's data. So, so very valid points. I mean, we are seeing also like kind of how these were obviously very important for high-risk people, but that we're seeing because of the remote work, how this is like more like flowing into each other. And as you say, we have the technology, we need the processes. And obviously, I also feel that we need the people and the awareness, which also was one of the points that you mentioned at the beginning. This awareness has increased and we definitely need people to work towards making these processes and, and taking advantage of the technology, right? So one of the things that you mentioned was this security and, and safety aspect of it. Do you believe that this security and safety by default um, applies 100%, especially in case of journalism and high-risk people? And also, where do you think we are in that aspect? How safety and security by default is, at which stage is this today? What do you think? I think it, it absolutely applies. Um, I think that when we're talking about, like, if you, if you dig into like what is required for a journalist to work securely, like what do you put in the, that, that word? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think of digital security, physical, emotional, and also legal. And so for a journalist to work securely, you do need to account for all of those groups. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, like we just talked about, we have the tools, we have the technology, um, there's a need for process. And I think that there's also a need then for other companies like all the social media platforms to make these features available by default for everyone so that it becomes something that's just ingrained um, and not something that just a high risk user has to do for a high risk trip. So. I don't know, 10 years ago, using Tor or using encryption or having SSL on your website might have been um, more rare than it is today. But these days, it's it's become so common that it is more of a question if you don't have SSL on your site or if SSL is something that you only offer to paid clients. Um, that's just become this like thing that people just assume is there. They assume that you're securing the connection. They assume that you're offering this for free because of course you should. And so I think we're, we're definitely over time seeing this sort of shift into um, security by design, security by default to the point where people don't have to learn about like what encryption is or what SSL is or what an SSL certificate is because it's just there and it just works. And and that's really how it should be. 
Uh, absolutely, 100%. And one of the examples, like we have seen, as you say, SSL has become obviously a kind of like a de facto uh, website without SSL. Mm, we wouldn't really even want to browse that today. And I hope people don't. But um, another example is also MFA, right? Multi-factor authentication is becoming more and more common. And it would be, to today's world, I think it would be very strange for companies and organizations to ask you to pay for that feature, right? That should be like one of those things that come by security and uh, safety by default in that in that category. Um, just recently, I had this conversation with my father, who's an old man, and he was being, he was called by someone like a spammer and tried to spam a lot of money out of his card. And he basically had the awareness because I obviously teach him a little bit, but also he had Good. the MFA on his, on his all these credit cards, right? And and that's the thing. I mean, there's so much we can do. The thing is, I feel like, and I want to hear your thoughts on it as well, that the awareness and the people aspect of it is obviously important, but having the technology to really build it in so that you don't have to have that high threshold is kind of, I feel like, really critical. Because when we have it and we can use it, then we are relieving the users to have to take the decision. When I'm telling my dad, like, you know what, just have a default, it's done, then the threshold is reduced, right? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're exactly right. I think that uh, there are certainly people today that if you ask them about two-factor authentication or MFA, uh, they know what that is. And then there are people who they're not like super familiar with the words, but you ask them when you log on to your email, do you have to enter a code from your phone? And they're like, oh yeah, we have that. We've had that for years. Right. And so in many cases, they don't necessarily know the technical term for the thing, but they have the thing and they do have some sense of um, what it requires of them and what it also then gives them in terms of protection. Um, and I think that that is, that is the thing sort of place that, that we need to get to. And I think that just more awareness, more security by default, more making it easier for people to leverage this type of, of tech um, is, is the way to go. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned something very interesting, which was this, this whole aspect of um, uh, social media. And social media obviously has a big, big, big role to play today, more so than ever in journalism. And, and we obviously hear a lot about fake news, disinformation. What do you consider are the biggest threats in, from, uh, from fake news and disinformation towards both individual and to national security? I mean, it sounds like an obvious question, but if you would like, what would you consider as the top threats? I think in terms of just um, disinformation, historically, I highly recommend reading Thomas Ridd's book called Active Measures that just really shows how different authorities over time have, have used um, news as a way to plant fake stories, or in some cases, plant real stories, but in a very different context. Um, and I think that the, the biggest challenge that we're seeing there today is that one, um, threat actors do leverage this same sort of mechanism for planting fake stories today. The difference is the speed that we're both sharing and also taking in news today with social media. Things are moving so quickly and that it is so easy to just retweet or share a post or just glance at a headline and not necessarily question whether you're 
the content actually makes sense or uh, question whether someone actually got it entirely right. There was a uh, tweet from uh, independent media in Ukraine that got a lot of retweets. And and the tweet said that uh, Lego did some... um, some some auction of like limited edition Lego pieces around like Molotov cocktails and uh, something else related to the war in Ukraine. And it got a lot of attention. It was a quick like soundbite. It, of course, looked like this great initiative from, from Lego. But if you clicked on the tweet and then read further down in the thread, you would see replies from someone else saying, actually, this is not... Lego the company, because Lego the company would not take this stance. They would not um, make any sort of political statement. So this is some like Lego retailer, someone somewhere custom made fun Lego pieces. And those two statements are very, very different. Individual person makes custom Lego statements, Lego the company making a political statement. Those are two very, very different statements to make. But the fact that it was on Twitter, got a lot of retweets, got very high visibility right away. It just sort of goes to show the challenge that we're having now with the way that we're spreading news. Absolutely. I mean, it also goes to the fact that when we say automation is great for security, but if you have, for example, uh, malware and you have automation, then it spreads also exponentially, right? And automation can be abused in that sense. And it's kind of what we're seeing in the the digital media um, space when there is an automation which is in place because of the way digital media works and and fake information or fake news and disinformation comes in. And then, as you say, it just it starts there and it just exponentially becomes viral and it exponentially the visibility increases exponentially and and we see obviously it has a big impact right both to what individuals perceive as the source and the content and whether it's there is integrity into it or not but also for national security in certain cases obviously so what would you recommend in your experience because you've worked a lot in this industry right and and you're absolutely the perfect person to ask this question what do you believe are some of the key things people can do to basically combat fake news and disinformation? I think the number one thing is to be open and honest when you get things wrong. Because I think it's it's easy to say that you should always vet your sources and you should take the time to read the article before you tweet, or you should consider the words that you're using when you're posting something on social media, because it may not be entirely correct. But I think that all of those things could happen. Like going back to what we talked about and just how fast things move now. Sure, there are times when I've like tweeted something that turned out not to be entirely correct or uh, retweeted something that just turned out to be like someone was just playing a joke somewhere. I think what's important is then being able to come back and say, actually, that wasn't quite right or actually I got it wrong or even taking the step of deleting the tweet that went viral and tweeting something else saying, you know what, I deleted that tweet because I got it wrong. I think accountability honesty, being willing to go out and say, sorry, I got it wrong. I made a mistake becomes incredibly important. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think then the users who are receiving this fake news or disinformation? And as you say, it's already hard for somebody posting or tweeting or retweeting to wet all the sources all the time. That's not, that's easier said than done. And as you say that you will get wrong at some, some point of time, right? But what about the users, the receivers of this information? What can they do? They are even less likely to go and wet the information, right? So what are some of the tips that you give to them? I think the same thing applies. So I think that there's, uh, there's I think, a lot of pressure being put on the media organizations and also the social media platforms uh, to ensure that the information that is being um, published through those channels, the information that goes viral on those channels, that that is uh, legitimate and that it is fact-checked. But at the same time, as we just talked about, like humans make mistakes. And so ultimately, at some point in time, incorrect news, whether that's disinformation or misinformation, will reach the public. And I think that as I think there's a conversation to be had around how we consume news in 2022 that is very, very different from how we consume news 10 years ago. And so I think there's a conversation to be had in schools even um, about just how the information environment exists today, how we uh, ingest news, how we talk about news. And going back to that point of like, what do you do when you get something wrong? That's wonderful because I think it makes absolute sense. Accountability is a key pillar in security, I believe. And and especially when it comes to things that where you need even more integrity, where you need credibility, then having the aspect of accountability is even more important. That's really fantastic. Thank you. Um, let's start winding up a little bit. And because we talked a lot about journalism and, and high-risk people, what would be some of the tips you have in terms of that to ensure, as you say, the entire pipeline of, of uh, journalistic um, approach that you have to information that is coming out and the entire pipeline that you have? What are some of the tips that you have to ensure that basically we can continue um, combating the risks associated, like the cybersecurity risks that are associated with journalism or with high-risk people? I would say we need to start having like the conversation that you and I are having now, we need to start having with people sooner. So like make this a topic in, in, in schools, like back in the day, I learned to touch type in school. So I had like a class where I learned how to make uh, spreadsheets and budgets and using Microsoft Excel. And then I learned how to touch type. I think at that point in time, there should also be a conversation around information and sourcing and uh, what happens when something goes viral um, and really talk about like, how do we work safely in that environment? I think that we're past the point of saying, don't do X, Y, or Z, because that's not going to work. Um, we should really shift the focus to how do we go about doing these things in a safe way? And what does that look like in 2022? Right, and what all we can do to reduce the threshold so that they can actually be done, right? Wonderful. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Um, it was lovely conversations with you, Runa. I would like to maybe ask you to sum up, if you had, based on our conversations, what would be one key message that you would like to give to the audience today? One key message would be used to factor authentication. <laughs> lovely. 
everybody should whatever you call it whether you call it multi-factor authentication whether you call it otp whether you call it a one-time password or whatever use it fantastic fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show today Rora. it was really thank you for having me so that was today's episode i'll be back with more fantastic guests amazing conversations and amazing topics so please tune in and continue tuning in and we'll talk and see you very soon